The Crowncast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means that you are listening to an episode of The Crowncast, and it's World Cup Wednesdays. That's right. For the very short time that uh, the World Cup will be here with us in this odd space in the year for a World Cup, we are going to be talking to you about it on Wednesdays. This is number two. And as ever, I'm joined by Justin. Hello, Justin. Hey, Logan. And uh, this time, we kicked Ewan off the podcast. Great guy, we thought. He did, you know, he did okay. Uh, but we brought back our regular host, Josh. It's Josh. Hello, hello. Uh, I don't know why I said Josh. It's Josh. I meant to say hello, Josh. But you are, in fact, Josh. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> How does it feel to be gifted your name, uh, you know, however many years after you were actually given it? It's a pretty common one. If you know one Josh, you know 15. Fair There's enough. a war of Joshes that happens in this country every year now. They meet <laughs> in a, a single location and fight with pool noodles. It's something that actually happens. We may post-react to it. <laughs> you know what? I am not against this. Um, but we will have to find a way to send our Josh to represent the crown cast to the Josh war. Uh, I, I think that... I think we have to save that for another episode. Would you guys <laughs> agree? Otherwise, we will go down that rabbit hole. There's a little bit of World Cup action we should probably talk about. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, since we have talked to you last, four of the groups are decided. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that uh, the Netherlands and Senegal have uh, advanced from Group A. Uh, one of those is not a surprise in any way, shape, or form. Uh, the other one, maybe a little bit of a surprise. Justin, would you have said Senegal had a had a really good opportunity, or do you think they they overperformed expectations? I mean, I kind of expected Ecuador to make it out of this group, uh, especially given that Senegal, I think we were missing on paper at least their best player in Sadio Mane. But uh, Senegal didn't have a bad squad. This isn't a huge upset. Yeah, not crazy, but maybe not exactly what we would have expected i will move us along to group b obviously group b the one that probably most of the listeners of this podcast are interested whether you're overseas or here in the united states uh, because that was england and the usa and there were also two other teams in there that i have since forgotten uh but importantly england and the usa both advance uh josh we're going to get into the actual game later but anything in this group that that made you stand up and say that's that's odd? No, this was never in doubt. We always knew the U.S. was going through, right, boys? <laughs> yeah, 100%. I was never on the edge of my seat in any way, shape, or form. Uh, group C. Uh, Argentina comes in, and in a very odd nail-biter for reasons that I, I think we'll get on a little bit later, uh, tops the group after having lost their first match. In... Uh, in accord with my predictions on one of our previous podcasts, Poland does barely squeak through uh, and Mexico and Saudi Arabia drop out kind of what we expected. But Justin, do you want to walk us through how close it was between Poland and Mexico? Yeah, I mean, at one point this afternoon, the the, the final of each group stage is uh, they're they're played at the same time. So, uh, you know. Uh, Argentina is playing Poland at the exact same time Mexico is playing Saudi Arabia. You do this to avoid the possibility of match fixing or any sort of weird shenanigans with the points or anything coming up. There was a point as these matches were both coming to a close 
where out of seven different tiebreakers that exist, Poland and Mexico were tied on the first five of them. And we were at the point where this sort of nebulous system of like, ooh, how naughty has your team been was going to be what was necessary to decide which which of these squads would move on. Um, eventually, Saudi Arabia nicks a goal back against Mexico. Uh, but But this was agonizingly close and as you said uh, argentina was pummeling poland uh just had them under siege for the really the entire match and so you know mexico were the better squad against saudi arabia poland were definitely second best against argentina it just so happens to break uh, that the poland managed to retain their spot uh and move on with argentina the broadcast that I saw said that even with the goal against them, and they may have been misreporting it at the time because they had a lot of, of stuff going on, but the, the broadcast I saw said that even with that goal, they were still reaching the point that they were using fair play points to determine uh, who it was that was going to go on. And I found out today for the first time in my footballing life that uh, if you get past fair play points, at that point in time, they literally draw lots. Did you guys know this? I actually did know that they, they get to the point where they flip a coin. Yeah. I, I, I want to be in that room. If that ever happens, I want to be in that room because the I, absolute chaos that is going to break out once that coin flip is decided is the I, amount I of I money. Yeah. The I amount don't, of money. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's the thing is FIFA is inherently a corrupt organization. So the amount of money that trades hands in that room uh, I, like I might want to be in it just to get a piece of it. I, I don't want to say that maybe Qatar would pay them so much money that they'd flip the coin and Qatar would somehow win. But uh, <laughs> I mean, they may as well stay on brand, right? Uh, we'll move on to Group D. Uh, the winners of Group D in France, not a surprise to absolutely anyone. Uh, France comes out even without one of their their supposedly key pieces in Kareem Benzema still basically runs over the competition. Bit of a surprise to me in this one is Australia. Josh, did you think Australia was going to put on the show they've put on so far? Uh, I did not. Um, I will also be honest and say because of, you know, work, I did not get to see the matches this morning. But I will say Australia a few years ago switched from Oceania to Asia. Uh, in order to get their competitive levels up. And it appears to have worked because six points, I mean, you know, they lose the tiebreaker on goal differential with France, but uh, I don't think anyone outside of Perth and Melbourne were expecting Australia to come through that group. Yeah, I Sydney mean... in shambles right now, Josh, that you wouldn't mention Sydney. <laughs> I, listen, I'm a known Sydney <laughs> hater. It goes, it goes Rios and then Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> it is it, it was definitely a bit of a surprise to me denmark has some real names on their uh, team jesse lindstrom christian erickson uh Hoiberg, uh casper well, michael in net uh and they end up bottom of this group which may be the most shocking thing to come out of group d is that they they fall even below tunisia who granted get three points against a second choice french squad but they get three points against yeah. france I did see that France lost and I was not actually capable of watching that one live. And so I went back to the highlights and I went, who are these people on the French squad? Uh, for, for those of you who don't know, I believe they were playing Matteo Ganduzzi 
so that tells you how Ew. far down. Yeah, uh, that was about my reaction. That tells you how far down the barrel they went, knowing they did not have to risk anything in this match. Nine uh, changes to the side. Nine changes. out of eleven players, nine of them were changed. That I think moves us along into uh, the groups that are not yet decided. And there might be a few more talking points here. Uh, Group E is Spain, Japan, Costa Rica, and Germany. Germany currently sits bottom of that table. And Spain sits top of that table. But if Germany were to win their next match, they could at least go level on points. Goal difference, etc. would not be level. But they could go level on points with Spain. So all sorts of chaos has broken out in this Uh, Justin, do you want to do you want to try and break down the chaos? Oh well, yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to a game that we talked about a lot in our last pod. The the fact that Japan managed to beat Germany in the first match of this uh, of this group um, it was absolutely a shocker. Uh, it, it, you know, it's now set where where Germany is sitting at the very bottom of this group. Uh, they managed Germany managed a draw against Spain, which is you know top of the group right now. So Germany does face Costa Rica. Um, Japan were in a position to really put themselves in the driver's seat in the group, and then they sort of stumbled in and lost that match to Costa Rica. And so Spain's at four points, Japan's at three, Costa Rica's at three, and Germany's at one. This is a, a group with everything left to play for. If Germany wins their match against Costa Rica, uh, they go up to four points. If Spain get the job done against Japan, Germany still advances out of the group in second place. Uh, if Japan somehow pull off another shock win, uh, you know, things get a little muddier. It's probably Japan goes through and then, you know, Spain still goes through at four points. Yeah, I'm not sure that that can happen. I can't, you know me, I'm a huge fan of the Japanese team. I like a lot of the players on it. I don't see them upsetting the Spanish. I mean, maybe you'd you could see a draw there if they if they really you know get a couple goals in the back of the net, but that would then mean that it would come down to goals for. And I have to get the sense that Germany is going to come out absolutely firing against Costa Rica, and they have firepower. Does that does that sound right? I mean, do you think odds on, even though the table is as it is, it might be Spain and Germany progressing? Yeah, I mean, I think that if you were to just take a look at what matches remain, Spain against Japan, Germany against Costa Rica, and the points where they are, I would still expect Spain to move through pretty comfortably, and then Germany to to move through, uh, you know. Uh, where it gets interesting is if, if you see that Spain-Japan game go to a draw, if Germany wins 1-0, then we're back in that situation of, of you know, same number of of or the the same goal differential, same points between Germany and Japan, and and it'd be interesting to see how those tiebreakers end up. We might get our coin flip anyway. Uh, I am going to move along to Group F, and Josh. Uh, previously, Justin put me through the ringer, and he asked me to to decide which groups or which teams he I thought would get through the groups. And clearly, I have no idea what I'm talking about because I picked Belgium, thinking they would dominate this group. And then I picked Canada, thinking they had a lot of fun, interesting talent, and they might just edge out Croatia. And uh, I think what that shows is I don't know what I'm talking about, and Croatia took it personally. Do you want to tell me what happened here? Uh, To be honest with you, um, I was always going to expect Croatia to do well uh, in this group. Um, 
they just always seem to to do well at these at these uh, international tournaments. Canada also doesn't surprise me. Um, I was talking a little bit actually with Justin uh, off mic about this, where you know this is this is the first time really Canada. I think maybe not the first time that they've made the World Cup. I'm not sure, but I know like Davies scored like their first ever World Cup goal. So this was all brand new. I kind of expected them to struggle. Um, I thought they'd be a little bit better than zero points. I believe them and uh, Qatar are the only two nations to not earn a point yet. Um, but I would have expected Belgium and Croatia to to come out of this group at the beginning. I still think that they're probably the favorites, although I'm not quite sure who is playing. Are, is Croatia and Belgium playing each other at 10 uh, group? Uh, tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern time, uh well, I guess tomorrow at 10 a.m., if you listen to this as it comes out tonight, uh, they play Croatia and Belgium, yes. Mm, that makes so, things interesting. I think Morocco's kind of in the driver's seat here, weirdly yeah, enough. Morocco can go and take down uh, Canada and secure their place. I think even a, I think even a point does Morocco pretty good with, with this. I think all they're going to need is a point from that game. Yeah, maths are hard, so I might be wrong about that. But uh, Uh, you know, when you're juggling all these, but a point for Morocco puts them at five, and I think no matter what would happen then in the Croatia Belgium game, they would be they would be through. But they have a chance to to win the group, which can be a a big boon when you talk about you know matchups going into the next round. I think Group F plays the winner of Group E, so you know you might want to matter. Yeah, you might want to avoid uh, Spain or whoever wins that group. Uh, so that takes us on to Group G. And Justin, I'm going to hop back over to you for this one. This one did come out thus far as I expected. Brazil, six points from six available. Switzerland, uh, three points from six available and puts up a pretty decent fight against Brazil. Cameroon uh, and Serbia both struggling. Anything you want to add to this group? I mean, I, I think the only, honestly, the thing I think that surprises me the most is where Serbia sits in this, in this group. I expected maybe a little bit better out of them, especially, you know, they've, they've played Brazil. It's not surprising that they lose there. One of the more entertaining matches of this World Cup is the, the Serbia-Cameroon match that ends in a 3-3 draw but was sort of back and forth where Cameroon score early and then Serbia net three straight. Uh, and then uh, Cameroon bring two back, and uh, Vincent Abubakar's the second for Cameroon was a beautiful little flick over the keeper that maybe he thought he was offside. I don't know, but it was very pretty. Um, I'm just I'm a little surprised that Serbia doesn't have a little more out of this. They faced the Swiss to close the group out. Uh, I think the Swiss are going to have to bring it for that one to to. If, you know, earn the point and put themselves in a good position to to come out of this group in second place. Yeah, I think for Switzerland to draw will do it. Um, I I can't imagine Cameroon is gonna not just beat Brazil, but but really beat Brazil. So I think for Switzerland, a draw is probably good enough. Uh, we'll move on to Group H, and uh, Portugal comes through kind of as expected ish depending on who you ask uh ghana maybe a little bit of a surprise currently sitting in second place but another group that that second spot is still wide open uh before i ask you josh justin 
are you ready to admit that Cristiano Ronaldo uh, has still got it and is the best striker on planet Earth? No. It was so entertaining watching him try to claim that goal uh, against Uruguay the other night where, where he just clearly whiffed on his header attempt. It went straight in from Bruno, Hernan- Bruno Fernandez's beautiful curling cross. Uh, and uh, uh, Ronaldo tries to claim it and then uh, <laughs> throws his hands up when the the scoreboard shows that it was Fernandez that's that gets it but they even get a penalty later in the match and and you know Fernandez t- gets a chance to take that one i think Ronaldo was off at that time but like this is not Ronaldo's team they are damaged by the fact that Cristiano Ronaldo is still starting up front for them uh they would be better off you know not running Ronaldo up the middle um i think he has one goal and it's from the penalty spot in this world cup and he was gifted that one just so he can be the guy who walks around saying oh i've scored in five straight world cups Ooh. um <laughs> i will move over to josh uh josh do you want to tell us about the rest of this group and anything you might see going forward yeah i just think that this has been a really fun group um you know you you talk about the um the serbia cameroon game that was 3-3 but i think uh around you know the game before that or the game after was ghana and south korea which was a another great game it ended 3-2 for ghana but uh south korea came back from two goals down um it's just it's just been really entertaining you know unfortunately the one team i didn't want coming out of this group which is portugal is the one that's guaranteed to come out of it um in addition to ronaldo they field the infamous pepe which um He's a horrible, horrible, horrible player. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. I think it's kind of a toss-up with who goes through this group. Uruguay is always an interesting team because they always seem to be able to find strikers, um, especially for a country that I think is, you know, two, three million people. Um, but it also feels like a bit of the changing of the guard. You know, Cavani and, and Suarez. Suarez is no longer starting for them. Cavani is, but he's definitely not the player he once was. Um, so I kind of think I kind of think this is going to be South Korea or or Ghana coming out of this. Um, that's just sort of my gut. Well, uh, South Korea is going to have to play Portugal. So South Korea is going to have to beat Portugal in order to go on. Ghana is going to end up playing Uruguay, and I think that's going to be the one that probably decides the second second or- mm. Portugal South- with nothing to gain, though. Yeah, South Korea plays a Portuguese team with nothing to play for. So I, I, I'm with Josh. I could see South Korea mustering the, the strength to to get this one. That is, I, I definitely think that is interesting because I don't think anyone you asked would have said, "Hey, Ghana has pole position for second place. Pole has second position for second. Pole uh, Ghana has their fate in their own hands. Um, if they go out and they win, they're in." Uh, and I don't think a lot of people would have expected that. So good on Ghana. Uh, do you want to get into the USA match? The the absolute uh, you know goal scoring bonanza that was the USA consistently hitting the ball in the back of the net. <laughs> well, so we we do have two since the last time we had a podcast. We had a thrilling question mark nil nil draw with England. I enjoyed um, it. It was actually, as far as nil-nils go, there are nil-nils that, like, you look at and go, oh, yeah, those are the days that soccer's not great. And then there are other ones that you go, how did no one score in this? That was amazing. This was the latter. Yeah. 
It, it was a very good time. I will say I thought the U.S. and, and you know, we talked about this and you and said it in our, our last pod. Uh, the U.S. impressed me in that match. I didn't expect them to come out. And and I think there's a bar halter to put us out in a we're going to be hyper defensive. We're going to we're going to try and absorb pressure, maybe see if we can get lucky and hit them on the counter. Honestly, I thought we looked like the better squad. Yeah. Um, I do think in the, the, the USA England match, England had a couple of really terrifying attacking threats super early. They played out wide to Saka on the right wing, and he was able to cut some stuff back that politely spoken, if Harry Kane was, was who Harry Kane says he is, probably would have scored. Uh, but after that, I really do think the USA kind of took that match over and really surprised me. Josh, did you feel similarly? Yeah, and and I think we'll talk about him probably a little bit later. But Anthony Robinson, um, his job on soccer, not just this game, but also um, when they played in the Premier League, I noticed it during that match as well. Um, I think he might just be a little bit of a problem for Saka, which was the U.S.'s benefit in this game, because however you feel about Arsenal, however however you feel about Saka, there's no denying he's one of the more exciting players in world football right now. Um, And really, aside from those first few moments in the game, um, Saka had his worst game in a long time for club or country, I thought. Um, And I think that's a real credit to... Um, to Anthony Robinson and to to the U.S. team in general, um, you know, I was watching it with I was watching it with family who doesn't normally watch uh, watch soccer, so there was a lot of trying to educate them on how some of those chances weren't actual chances and how this was an exciting game when there were chances. But um, as you said, there there are nil nils, and then there are you know exciting nil nils, and I thought this was veering towards the latter. So I think one of the things that's probably not groundbreaking to say about the United States is that the team looks absolutely spectacular everywhere except the the two boxes, with one notable exception I will talk about later. Uh, Justin, do you feel like that's fair? There's there's maybe a missing piece in central defense and maybe a missing piece uh, up at the top of the pitch? I mean, absolutely. The, the most reliable defender we have right now is 35-year-old Tim Ream. This is the best that a, a country with the size and resources of the United States can come up with in central defense. And I, I say that not trying to knock Tim Ream because I do think he has done a very good job at this World Cup. But, you know, beyond that, we've got Cameron Carter Vickers, who, you know, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit when we get into the Iran match, I think. Uh, we've got Walker Zimmerman, who I carded uh, in our in our last podcast for his absolutely brain dead challenge in the box against Wales. Uh, and then at the other end of the pitch, we've brought Haji Wright, who is playing his trade in the Turkish league. And yes, he's scoring a lot in the Turkish league, but it's, you know, not to disparage it, but it's the Turkish league. So yeah. I'm going to disparage it a little bit. <laughs> it's it's um, not expected to see the same level of competition as the Premier League or, yeah. and, uh, you know, the French league, etc. Josh Sargent is our other option up there, and he's, you know, in the championship. He's He started for a side that couldn't make it in the Premier League, and that's not all his fault. Um, but but we are lacking sort of – we have some very world-class talent in some positions uh, on the pitch. 
Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at the way guys like Tim Weah and and Serginio Dest and and Anthony Robinson and Tyler Adams have played through this, um, we have world class players now in the United States, and that's a very exciting thing. But when you can't rely on your central defense and you can't rely on your striker, it, it sort of blunts the two most important areas. We can't reliably score goals. And we can't reliably keep goals out. Yeah, I I will say coming into this, you know, you guys know I knew of the United States men's national team. I had seen some of where they play. I knew a lot of the players who played in the Premier League. But when I look across this line now and I see Anthony Robinson, Christian Pulisic, uh, Eunice Musa, Tyler Adams, who has impressed the crap out of me, uh, Timothy Weah, uh, Weston McKinney, uh, Serginio Dest, I look at that the, all of those names and go, yeah, they could play on a team that that goes really, really deep into the World Cup in six years. I mean, that astounds me. Uh, it really, really does what this team has put together. Matt Turner, uh, I include in that, uh, and maybe Tim Ream, depending on the fact whether or not he is, you know, forty years old and still our best defender in twenty twenty six. Josh, I am going to cycle it over to you to talk England for this. Uh, how did you feel about England? What were their flaws? What did they do well? So I, I've not really agreed with um, the starting lineup for England. Um, my my feeling on it is that while I believe Sterling is a really good player, I would be starting Phil Foden. Um, if not in Sterling's place, definitely in Mason Mount's place. I think Mount has been pretty... Uh, invisible this entire tournament at least from my perspective of the games that i've seen yeah um i i don't i don't know what's going on with england i i think i think especially after that first game against iran people expected a lot more and when you look at that team there is talent up and down but some of the decisions and who is playing does surprise me you know um harry Maguire in central defense it's a little odd continues to be a little odd for me um, you know, Jordan Henderson, maybe he got the start, you know, in the, in the Wales game because they're trying to rotate a little bit, but you know, 34 year old Jordan Henderson, I'm not sure if I'm starting him there. There seems to be a balance issue, um, in my opinion for England. And I think that's what happened in that, in that U S game when the U S was able to neutralize Saka, who I think is England's best, um, creator by himself someone who's able to take the ball in tight spaces and do something with it um while also being direct and and he's sort of a good mix of of of, of a sterling and a foden type of thing i think when they took that away england didn't have a lot left there um i don't know it's it's interesting with england i i still think that they should be considered one of the favorites in this tournament because if they can get it clicking there's a ton of talent there um, but if I were an English fan, I don't know that I'd be overly optimistic heading into the knockout. Yeah, I can tell you that I, I know where I would put the blame on the English team, and that is squarely on their coach. Um, I think there's a ton of talent in the English team. I don't necessarily seeing it applied well. Uh, you're right. I have questions about Mason Mount. If he continues to be the option sort of in the middle attacking section there, uh, I think he's getting in Harry Kane's way. I think Harry Kane wants a little bit more space to roam like he does for his club. And Mason Mount is kind of left going, well, Harry Kane is where I'm supposed to be standing. Now what? Uh, 
you're right. I don't think I've seen Raheem Sterling really pull it off. I actually haven't had a problem with Harry Maguire, which is saying something because I'm not a fan of Harry Maguire. <laughs> uh, but when it comes to a attacking style team, Harry Maguire does head the ball out well and and does play the attack. Uh, I think maybe some of the better teams in the tournament might show out some of his defensive inconsistencies. Uh, but really, I just expected more willingness to go be attacking, and and they were not. Even in this game, they were not the team that wanted to go attack. They wanted to sit back and give the USA the ball. and Or at least I hope that's what it is for them, because otherwise their midfield got played entirely off the pitch. Uh, any final thoughts on this game, Justin? Look, for, for squads that are going to sit back and absorb pressure, Harry Maguire is a great center back. If all you need him to be is is the guy to be there to head some threats away and then, you know, distribute from the back, he's going to be phenomenal for you. So uh, there's just there's too much Harry Maguire hate here. Um, <laughs> beyond more, that, more Harry Maguire love. Beyond that, I think you're both uh, uh, spot on, and and I think there are a lot of English fans who agree with you that Gareth Southgate is holding the squad back more than he is driving the squad forward. Um, and that if they fail to advance much further, which is a real risk, I think, for this English side, it can be laid at the feet uh, of Gareth Southgate, uh, not so much at the feet of the players. Yeah, I mean, the final statement I'm going to come back to, Josh, you pointed this out. I don't know how Phil Foden's not, not playing. I, you know, I understand Raheem Sterling's almost legacy at this point. He, he is an incredible player, but Phil Foden has so much threat and so much finishing capability. It's, it's just hard to understand how he's not playing. Uh, I am going to move us along and uh, USA play their next game or played their next game against Iran. Justin, you want to start us off with the Iran game? Yeah, I mean, this is another one as an American fan, and I think we were all sort of chatting as this one was going on. It was tense. Uh, we need the win here. We desperately need it. Um, and Iran is a team that sit back and, you know, try to hit you on the counter and, and try to hit you, you know, route one up the middle. And that's where we have shown some vulnerability. Walker Zimmerman and Tim Ream are a little bit, a little bit softer, a little bit weaker. It was concerning, um, and so we come out though, and and we come out playing what has now become USA ball. I think Josh, that that you know, we looked really good in the attack. Uh, for what it was worth, you know, we we looked effective. Uh, what did you think of us going forward? I thought, especially that first half, we absolutely dominated. It reminded me of the Wales game, which was why I was nervous for the second half, uh, because we all saw what happened in the Wales game second half. Um, going forward and, and pushing forward, this U.S. team has some real talent, especially, I think, when Burrowhalter takes the shackles off a little bit and, and lets these young guys, because I don't think that that should be overlooked either. I believe in that. Uh, Iranian game, our average age was like 24 on the pitch, and that's including a 35-year-old in Tim Ream. Um, so I, I understand, you know, you you want to pull in maybe some youthful exuberance and rein it in a little bit, but I just really think that when 
when Burhalter lets those guys go out and just play and be young and exciting and take guys on, um, that's where we shine the best. And because I don't think defensively we are as solid as maybe you would want, that should be the 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 uh, move going forward. Keep the ball. Try to dominate possession. Try to attack and and win <laughs> with the attack. You know, um, but Burhalter, uh, he he's a little like Southgate. I, I really do think that he he holds this team back in a lot of ways. Yeah. We so we make it to the thirty eighth minute and uh, we get the go ahead and Christian Pulisic. God love him. He takes one someplace very uncomfortable to score this goal. Sacrifices the future, Pulisic. <laughs> yes, sacrifices potentially the line. <laughs> but uh, but he does bundle over for us. He does get us what we need and, and gets us the go-ahead goal. Um, uh, it's, it's, again, an, another nice sort of attacking series of play for the United States. And that's... You know, U.S. looks good going forward. U.S. is an exciting team going forward. The trick is going to be, as we continue to go forward, how do we find some defense behind? Uh, You know, I haven't had uh, too many questions about the defense behind just because of how good the midfield has been. Uh, It has been so good that uh, part of me has to just say, if your midfield is capable of holding the line that high, hold the line that high. Like if your midfield can do it, especially against teams that aren't going to be super well drilled, although maybe we'll see this come out in later stages of the tournament where other teams have had more time to play with each other and are maybe connecting those passes a little better. I haven't really seen the USA cut out. Um, Maybe you guys can correct me and, and pull up some memories that I am blocking out i will ask each of you because i maybe this is just something i'm seeing and you shouldn't necessarily speak ill of a of a wounded soldier as it were but is anyone else getting tired of christian pulisic's uh dead ball delivery am i the only one that's having that's that's struggling to see like every single time i feel like the announcer has to come on and explain to us why it wasn't awful and after the fifth or sixth time of the announcer having to expressly say, well, this could have been decent because of this. Maybe he's not the guy who should be taking set pieces. I think yeah, in I, general, our set pieces have been poor across the board. It, it, you know, even when Pulisic came out this past game, I didn't think Aronson's deliveries were all that great either. I think it is a problem moving forward too, because I do think that we have some aerial ability in Zimmerman if he plays, if he starts again. Um, but the, the set pieces, yeah, Pulisic is, he, he reminded me of the, the, what we used to see from Jordi Alcivar, which mm-hmm. was disgustingly poor uh, balls that don't beat the first man. Yep. That do not beat the first man. Uh, Justin, I'm going to ask you really quick. We get ahead in this game and we keep going forward. We keep attacking. Christian Pulisic comes out. Uh, apparently there is some concern that, you know, we make jokes about where that, that hit, but apparently there is some concern that he might have some, some pelvic issues uh, after that, that injury. 
Uh, a little bit later, we see uh, Josh Sargent uh, get kind of uh, taken out in a, I don't want to call it dangerous tackle. I don't think it was intended to be dangerous. It was just a high-speed tackle. Uh, he gets clipped, lands on his foot in a weird way. Josh Sargent comes out. And after that is when we see, uh, I believe it was Timothy Weah come out uh, of the team. He gets pulled out in what, like the 74th minute? Somebody can correct me. That sounds right. I don't think that Weah was withdrawn for, for any kind of injury or anything. He was just fatigued. We, we were so tired. Uh, Josh and I were talking just before we got on mic today about how the injury to Polisic and, and it is listed as a pelvic contusion. Mm-hmm. Um, All the guys know what that means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, it, the, but, but having to withdraw Polisic, uh, I think it really affected the, the entire sort of the, the plan for the team. Uh, as we finished out the match, I don't think that it was ever the intent for Polisic to be the one withdrawn. I think that Wea started showing some real tired legs. Anthony Robinson on the other side started sh- showing those tired legs. And, you know, I don't know that we had uh, any more the substitutes, the substitute windows, uh, everything to really c- make sure that everybody got the rest that they sort of needed. Um, I hope that everybody's getting plenty of time in the ice bath, plenty of time to to recover prior to Saturday morning's match. Because this was a tired squad that was, uh, you know, this was a boxer waiting for the bell by the end of this match against Iran. Yeah, so my my question for you guys is, considering what was given to Greg Berhalter, do you feel like his decision to, I mean, I think he went full back five, and I don't even think he really left anyone to, to be a, a speedy threat on a counter. Do you feel like his decision at that point to park the bus was these are the cards that have been handed to me. I don't have the tools left to continue to keep attacking Iran. Or do you think it was a, a fallback to the, the maybe the right way to say it is the nature of Greg Berhalter and just saying, Nope, it's time. Park the bus. I, my my issue with with Berhalter's decision near the end of the game wasn't so much, you know, when he brought on Walker Zimmerman, that was the real park the bus moment for me. And I do think that there does come a point in the game where you do that, right? Where you say, we have 10 minutes left of a match plus stoppage, which in these games have been another 10 minutes, um, where you kind of say, if we can't uh, pull this out by not conceding a goal, we don't deserve to go forward. My issue is more, I felt like as that second half wore on, maybe from around the 60th minute, 65th minute or so, up until about the 80th minute, um, we were sort of parking the bus, but sort of not. And and I would have preferred to have, for him to have made changes in the wide areas to get more legs on. I thought that when we were able to press Iran higher up the pitch and in those wide areas, that we were a lot more effective against them. And as Wea, you know, lost his his energy, which is understandable. He did a lot of running that game. Um, I think that invited a lot of pressure. You know, again, off off mic, I think I would have even preferred someone like DeAndre Yedlin to have come on for Wea and play sort of a, a hybrid fullback right wing thing because he has a lot of speed. He can get up and down. Um, that was really my it, it wasn't so much the last 10 minutes of the game that I had an issue with. It was that 
15 minutes between the 65th and 80th minute, which I thought were a lot more nerve wracking than they needed to be. Yeah, definitely could have felt more stable. Uh, We do get it done. And with that statement, and because I want to push us along here, I am going to say, uh, do you guys want to do one crown per uh, and one card per, or do you just want to do uh, crowns today? Justin? I think a crown and a card is fine. Okay. Uh, Then you can pick your crown and your card from either of the two games. And I'm going to go first because host privilege. Uh, I am going to crown Matt Turner for everything. I am not picking one of the two games. I'm picking his entire existence throughout this tournament. Matt Turner has been phenomenal. Uh, I have, I've waxed lyrical about this in the past. Uh, I did not know that that goalkeeper was in there and he looks spectacular. Uh, Josh, you gave me a stat earlier that said this is the first time we've had two shutouts in something like 10,000 years or something ridiculous. Yeah, I believe it was like 1930, you know, the where I think that was the year we made the semis. So, hey, mm-hmm. history repeating. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be upset. I wouldn't be upset at all. Uh, Josh, why don't you go ahead and give us your crown from these two games? Yeah, so... Mine is going to be for Yunus Musa. Um, I, I will say I don't know that I think he's been our best midfielder. That probably goes to Tyler Adams. But the reason I'm crowning him is because he turned 20 um, the day of the Iran game. Uh, he is just such a different midfielder than I can ever remember seeing on a U.S. team. He is dynamic. He is strong on the ball. That little move he made in the second half where he just completely took a uh, Iranian uh, defender midfielder out of the of the play. Um, he has passing ability. He's not afraid to get stuck in. He ran his tail off. He was another one who by that end of the game probably couldn't feel his legs. Mm-hmm. Um, the crown is he's also someone who bet on himself. The more I've learned about him, I actually just saw something where he was a former Arsenal boy. Uh, no. who, who bet on himself rather than taking a contract with Arsenal. He went to Valencia at 16 and spent a year in their B team and has been with their first team basically ever since. Um, so this is a guy who I think is a, a really good representative of hopefully the new era of U.S. Uh, men's soccer, which is unafraid, bet on yourself, hugely talented guys who don't just go on a pitch happy to be on the biggest stage, but go on there believing that they belong. Um, and again, as a 20-year-old, 19, 20-year-old doing this in the World Cup, I don't care if you're doing it against Iran or Trinidad and Tobago or whoever makes it, it's a huge game. And, and he's just really impressed me. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good shout out. And I'm glad his name gets out here. Justin, do you want to give us your crown? Oh, you guys have left me so many wonderful options. Yeah. Um, Honestly, we we might do too, just because I feel like there are people who deserve it. But yeah, I mean, there there absolutely are. You know, I think for what the goal meant and the time that it that it happened and the sacrifice necessary to get it in. Well, I don't think he's had a particularly great World Cup as a whole. I'm gonna crown Christian Pulisic because we've got to get that goal and somebody has to put it in and he steps up and he puts his body on the line to do it. Yep. He, he sacrificed 
I mean, he sacrificed a lot uh, to get the goal over the line. And that's what you want out of the striker. I know he's been playing a little bit wider for this particular World Cup and everything, but like, you can't ask for more from a guy than to sacrifice and get a pelvic <laughs> contusion scoring the goal that gets you out of the group phase. He does. And, you know, I think we only get two, we do only get two goals in this whole, whole thing. So one goal is an incredible difference maker and it was the difference maker. So while I, I do have issues with some of the other things he's doing in his game, he, he is the one who makes the difference. I think it's a great shout instead of doing cards. Let's just go ahead and do another crown. I think there's more than enough people who deserve to be shouted out for, for what they're doing at the age they're doing it. Um, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in here and I'm going to say the one that you, you briefly mentioned, and that's Tyler Adams. And you cannot watch the game without seeing Tyler Adams consistently dominating the midfield. It's incredible. And I realize it's against teams that maybe aren't as organized as like, you know, fully fit prepared club teams might be. I, I understand that some of what he's doing might look better in this light, but a really good suit looks nice no matter what lighting it's in. You put it under the spotlight on the stage, you put it under the dim lights on the dance floor, and Tyler Adams can dance, boys. He is good. Uh, I really look forward to seeing what this man becomes uh, as as time is still on his side, and I think he deserves to get shouted out. Uh, Josh, you want to go for your second? Yeah, my second is going to go to uh, Tim Weah. Um, you know, I'll be honest, I do not, I believe he's plying his trade in France and I do not follow uh, the French League. Um, he has been, I think, incredible um, this tournament. He gets our first goal of the tournament on a lovely finish. Um, he's put in some good balls. He's lively down that side. Um, and I don't think it can be ignored that, you know, he's he's the son of George Weah, who is the only African to ever win, you know, uh, the Ballon d'Or, who is the current president of Liberia and has, you know, gone his own way. Um, no, no pun intended or always pun intended. Um, Puns are but, always intended. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that that's a lot of pressure, right? There, there's expectations when when you see that name on the back of the shirt. Um, and he, I think this is a bit of a coming out party for him, for U.S. fans, because I don't think that I'm the only one who probably knew about him, um, but hadn't really seen him play. And I, and I think he's showing that he probably deserves to be included in those attackers that we talk about, the Pulisic, the, the Gio Reynas, uh, the Aronsons. Um, he, he's been really, really good. Yeah. Uh, another another great shout out, but there are so many. Justin, do you want to pick one of the other six? Yeah, I, I want to. I want to give this to Serginio Dest, but I'm not going to. I think that Dest has been very good this tournament, but I'm going to focus on the Iran match and and I'm going to give uh, a crown for somebody that surprised me in that match, and so I'm going to crown Josh Sargent because I knocked him. When this tournament started, I talked about the fact that Josh Sargent was the best that we could come up with. Oh, he's at Norwich, everything. In the Iran match, Josh Sargent was everything you want from a striker for, for this kind of team. Yes, he didn't finish. He didn't get a goal, but he held up well. He went into challenges well. He moved the ball well. 
And I, I got to put my hand up and say I was wrong about Josh Sargent in this side. And and in that match against Iran, the way they were set up and what we needed, Josh Sargent provided. I'm really, really glad you called him out because as I was watching this game against Iran, I thought as well, I was like, you know what? He's putting in the work and good on him. And you're right. I don't think he did the he didn't get the the final flashy thing you'd expect from a striker, which is score a goal. But I do think it's really good that that it wasn't just me that saw that, that hopefully other people saw it as well. And maybe that's a good a good base point for him to jump off of for his future. Giroud uh, 2018. <laughs> yep. Uh, we are going to uh, take another look into the future. And we are going to wrap this up by looking at what we know will be next. And we now know that the USA plays the Netherlands. And the Netherlands have absolutely no one on their team that anyone would consider world-class. I think they have the worst defender in the world. Uh, Josh, do you want to, do you want to tell us about, about this team that we're definitely going to roll over? (laughs) You know, I, I'm weirdly optimistic about this. That is not to say I believe that we should be considered the favorites. There's a lot of talent on this Dutch team, Um, but it's young talent. You know, aside from Virgil van Dyke, who you're alluding to as the worst defender in the world, which is the complete opposite. I, I am being facetious. <laughs> and for anyone who does not know, the Netherlands does have a man named Virgil van Dyke, and Virgil van Dyke has widely been regarded as the best defender in the world for like five yeah. years. Um, yes. I would encourage you to Google Virgil van Dyke, <laughs> but continue. Um, but I think, I think his, um, his experience really helps that side. I think the, the player that has been jumping out all tournament, and I know Justin is ready for Man United to splash $150 million on him is Cody Gakpo, who has been electric for them. He's a sort of hybrid wide, um, player slash forward. Um, he's gonna, I think, cause us a lot of problems. He's tall, he's strong, he's fast. Um, I think where the hope comes in is I think the Netherlands are sort of on an uptick after after some years of being down after their, you know, previous generation sort of graduated. Um, And I think that they're going to be a much more dangerous side in 2026 than they are this year. Um, Still dangerous. Um, I would still put put our odds a little less than them. Um, But this is not the Dutch team that, you know, had Van Persie at its height and Wesley Snyder. And all those guys running amok are in Robin. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a fun game because, again, I think that these are two pretty young um, teams with a lot of talent that are going to go at each other. Um, and this is a big stage, and a lot of these guys are on it for the first time. Yeah, I think from where I'm looking at, this is going to be a really big test for the USA in just the fact that the USA is already having trouble getting the ball into the back of the net. And Virgil van Dyke is a defender who can look at the best attackers in the whole world and just make them and just make them cease to exist with the way he defends. It's it's really impressive. Um, there is some benefit to the fact that in that back line, he doesn't have quite the same supporting cast he would normally have. But there are some other names on this team, Frankie de Young, Nathan Ake, Cody Gakpo, as you mentioned, that uh, are pretty good footballers. So I. Uh, I think this is, I think we knew that for the United States, if we got to the round of 16, it was going to be an uphill battle from there. This is where the uphill starts. And uh, I think we have a chance. Uh, I'm not going to call it a great chance, but I think we have a chance at this one. Justin? 
Yeah, I mean, where I think we can take some hope is I think where we tend to attack, which is which is driving in from these wing positions and and maybe trying to, especially where we've had success scoring goals, finding some tricky passes. And uh, I think it negates a little bit of Virgil van Dyke's effectiveness. We're, we're not really winging crosses in and looking for guys to get up there and put a head on it and, and drive it in. Um, we're slipping lower passes. We're, we're dropping it back to the top of the 18 or inside of the, the penalty area and looking for somebody to slot at home. Um, but I also think Cody Gakpo and the, the, the Dutch attack hits us where we're weakest in that I think it's going to attack our center backs. Um, we're not going to have as much coming at where we have strength in defense, and that's, that's in the fullback positions. Um, they're going to be attacking Tim Ream and Walker Zimmerman with some speed, and, and I think that's dangerous. So um, the only real hope that, that, that I see for the U.S. is I think we might be able to handle their midfield, I think. Yeah, I, from what I'm looking at, I think it might be a midfield turnover that gets a, like a Timothy Way, a high-speed chase that politely spoken – 31 year old Virgil van Dyke. It doesn't matter how technically proficient he is. Just can't quite keep up with way pace. That's, that's where I'm seeing the United States maybe find a, an avenue towards success. Uh, any final thoughts, Justin? I mean, uh, making the round of 16 is great for us. Uh, we, sh- we should be reaching a point now and, and looking forward where we look to go farther but we can be incredibly proud of what we've done so far. Yeah, I think that's very well said. Josh, any final thoughts on how the USA have done so far? Yeah, I don't think it should be overlooked that I believe this is probably the first time in any of our lifetimes, maybe ever, that the US, that game against Iran, every single player who started that game plays in Europe. They do not, there was not a single starter on that pitch in the Iranian game that plays in the MLS. And that is. A slight dig at the MLS, but it's just the truth. Um, to compete at the national uh, international level, you need guys playing in the best leagues. And all of a sudden, we have that. And I think we see when we bring on our MLS players, our form drops a little bit. So the injuries that have happened are really important that hopefully those guys can go again because I would roll out what we did with Iran uh, against the Netherlands. That sounds good to me. And uh, as ever, if you've decided to spend your time with us for this World Cup Wednesday, thank you so much. We love you. We hope you are having a great time, enjoying the holidays, enjoying all of the football that is being played all around the world. Well, not all around the world because it's all happening in one place. But anyway, we will talk to you for the next one. Goodbye. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com